Good afternoon, Dave. How you doing, mate? I'm pretty well, thanks. Uh, we're sitting here at the local tap house with Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery. Hey, thanks, guys. We sort of stupidly began a little bit of a um, history of how Michael got here without hitting record. So yeah, we figured we'd ta- totally turn it on and um, and get talking about mead. So uh, Michael, you're out in Australia promoting uh, your meadery. Um, how's it going so far? It's been an incredible couple. Um, we've been here for almost a week now. So uh, the last seven days, we got invited down to be a guest speaker at the Australian National Homebrewers Conference. Uh, both the talks that I gave were, you know, to capacity. Uh, people just couldn't believe what quality meat could be made, and we're very happy to see we are now available nationwide here in Australia. Great, great. Meat is a. Um, I don't think anyone really knows much about it. Uh, in Australia, and I, I certainly have only just started learning about it. Can you give us a, just a brief history or, or, how, sure. or what, what, how it's made and, and what goes into it? So think of mead as the oldest craft beverage. It predates wine and beer. And um, 15,000 years ago, there's a cave painting that shows a woman harvesting honey from a beehive. Now, honey happens to be the only food source that never goes bad. Happens to be the only food source humans can survive on with just water. And when you take honey from a beehive, the bees are going to come take it back. So how do you protect that? Well, 15,000 years ago, somebody got the bright idea to put water on top of that honey. When you put water on top of honey, it starts to dilute. As it dilutes, it starts fermenting and making alcohol. So that's how mead came about. Now, when I started my company back in 2010, everybody thought mead was supposed to be this really sweet beverage that nobody could really uh, stomach and drink. And my model was to create these beverages that had a lot of complexity, um, I saw mead as its own beverage category, and I make over 70 different ones. Now, everybody asks me why I make so many different types. It's simple. I like choices. And I don't care if anybody doesn't like them, because I make them for me. Because if you don't like them, guess who's getting what he likes? <laughs> I am. Yeah, I think that's the right attitude to have with um, any of this sort of artisanal sort of work, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can always tell if someone's, something's made to please a crowd rather than to please the, the person making it. Um, So this first mead you guys are just trying right now is made with heather blossom honey from northern Scotland. This is our, it's called sensual, it's a traditional mead, just honey, water, and yeast fermented out. It's about uh, 15% alcohol, so you get a rich, rich honey flavor to it. Little hint of alcohol in the background, but picture this with some spicy food or um, seafood, it really kind of can pull up those flavors. You're, uh, You're right when you said it's not sweet. Um, and I, I think that's probably a perception that I certainly had coming into trying meads for the first time. You know, honey is sweet. Um, but then again, so is when you, you know, before you ferment a beer, it's sweet. So I'm guessing it's the same concept. All the sugars are fermenting out and you're just kind of left with the flavor? Correct. We, uh, so we start with uh, unprocessed honey. We're going to dilute that honey with water. And then we're going to add some yeast to let it ferment through. Now it takes about three months to ferment a batch. Um, but at the end of that time... We have a product that's just going to get better with time over that, from that point on. So it's as simple as honey, water, and yeast. Um, everybody thinks they can go off and start making mead. Well, it's like saying everybody can paint, but how many Michelangelos do you end up with? <laughs> you sort of mentioned it's the oldest oldest craft beverage, um, and we're, we're sitting here as, as beer bloggers and podcasters um, in a beer place. Mead sort of seems to me starting to get a little bit of attention. Do you think it's on the back of beer people looking for something extra, or is it... Yes, so um, how mead fell out of favor was back in the Middle Ages, mead got this moniker of Nectar of the Gods. Now, how would it get such a name? 
the religious leaders didn't want the commoners to have it. It was too good for them, right? Too expensive. Now, when I started, I, I love craft beer. I make a lot of it. I drink a lot of it. And I love craft cider. And that's why I saw this as a craft category of beverage. And if it could be done right, where there was flavor and diversity and choices, that everybody would love it. Now, back in 2006, I was president of Brew Freer Dive, largest homebrew club in New Hampshire. And I thought I was going to open a brewery. I drove around with a license plate said brewer for over a decade. But when I realized that I pulled out a bottle of beer and it was my buddies hanging around, and I pulled out a bottle of mead and I saw every woman in the room knocking somebody over, <laughs> I said, okay, there's a business here and I think I know where it's going. But so I, what was the, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, but, you know, I thought I could do this part-time at night. That's how I came up with the name Moonlight. I was going to be Moonlight. Yeah, okay. I like that. What was the, um, what was the mead sort of industry and landscape like when you conceived making mead professionally? There were um, two or three, you know, fastly growing meaderies in New England or in the United States at that point. You know, there's some meaderies that have been around since the 60s. Uh, there's a couple that have been around for 20 years or more now. And then there's a plethora that started around the time we started, and even tenfold more than that now. So the meat industry in the United States is really starting to take hold. We're seeing uh, national distribution um, from where we started in my garage. Um, we're seeing our growth rate continue to go every single month, month in, month out, better and better. Uh, I was just interviewed by a magazine here in um, Australia, and I was just put on a TV show as well. So that's fairly mainstream. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it's interesting uh, to see people looking for something more interesting or more exciting than you know what they're used to drinking in terms of you know red or white wine, and only knowing red or white wine or only knowing one sort of beer. Um, people seem to be excited to try anything now. Yeah, we just tasted the um, staff here right before you guys came in for interviewing us, and um, they never tried me before. It was a team of 12 people, and you should have seen the look on their face when they tried each one of these different meads, and we just you know, tried one of six right now. Mm. So as we go into this next one, it's a blueberry, so you're going to get a nice dry blueberry note with the honey that's uh, really going to work out nice. So we're using wild mountain blueberries, and they offer a lot of, um, a lot of context to the honey. Sorry. I think by comparison, the only um, readily available mead that we've got here is, I think it's like um, a chain brand mead that offers a honey mead and a spiced mead, and that's it. So the difference between those two is marginal, and that's really the only thing besides these couple of... Um, independent meaderies around the country that offer anything so mm. this sort of variety is unlike anything we've seen here I think mm. and um, these the first two have just been really good yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the sensual I think was the yeah. first one we had I really liked that had a um, just a nice big thick flavour but really smooth and um, now the second one you're trying wild has got blueberries and honey so it's not as sweet so it's a little drier, closer to like a red wine. So you got a lot more flavor going on. You know, I hear the uh, the barbecues here are pretty epic. So you put this with like some grilled steak. Oh, the char from the grill is going to really hook in with the honey notes. Blueberry is going to come around the side. Makes for a great flavor. Mm. Mm. No, I'm um, Dave. I don't know about this you. This particular one's really tasty. Yeah, this, this is um, this is more of my alley, I think. Yeah. So in terms of putting things into mead, um, you know, water, honey. Yeast, 
Do you change yeasts? Like, is there a sort of a, a things you can do with that, or it's normally a clean, simple so yeast? For us, the yeast is the canvas from which we paint on. Yep. So yeast is the only thing we use that never changes. So water can change based on time of year. Yep. So we get our water from a local municipality. So if we're getting a drought, the mineral content goes up. Getting a lot more rain, the pH is going to go up. Now, honey can change. So based do, you, on do you ever alter that chemistry, or do you uh, just We don't, it? actually. Okay. So that's part of the craft of what we make, which is we always want to keep the flavor as natural as we can, don't add any chemicals that we don't have to add, and try to control the flavor with my taste buds. Mm. So as I taste and smell the meads, that's where I'm going to try to figure out what I'm going to do with them. Mm. And you say you control the flavor by your taste buds. Do you blend them? You know, is there barrels being blended in, or is it one batch that gets... Um, more to the point of sometimes we're blending, not often. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, the fruit that gets added, you know, we add in early in the process. So it goes in primary fermentation. Um, if it's going to have spices, the spices go in after the fact. But, like, when I'm tasting the mead to figure out how I want it when it's ready... For example, when we're making our chili pepper meads where we've got three types of, you know, chili peppers in the mead, you know, we really want to pull that off as soon as the flavor gets to the right level. You know, so that's like usually 72 hours. Yeah, right. So you're constantly tasting it to get to that, right. the sweet spot. So the first time at 12 hours and 24, then I went to 48, and then I went to 72, and I said, oh, okay, it's good. And we actually sold out of that batch in 10 days. Wow. wow. So you have distribution across the states? Yes. All the states? Most of the um, states? Here in Australia? Oh, sorry, in, in the United States. Right? Oh, in the United States, we're in 30 states. Yep. Um, here in Australia, I believe we're in several. Um, I don't know you know, offhand exactly how many we're in, but yep. I know it's over in Perth. I know it's up in Brisbane, uh, Victoria here in uh, Melbourne, and then up in Sydney. Hmm. Maybe more than that. I'm not sure. If it is, that's going to be the whole country, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been at the uh, ANHC... Um, Conference. conference. Yep, that's the word I'm looking for. Were you invited by them to come along and talk, or how did that come about? Yeah, so we got a, um, an invite to come out and be a guest lecturer, and yeah, I wasn't you know, really too sure what to do about that, because it's a long, long way away, um, but we saw it as an opportunity. You know, we saw it as an opportunity to help people taste our product, because 99% of the time, once we let somebody try our meads for the first time, the reaction is, Wow. And then the reaction is, where can I go get this? Mm. And it's not like a, "Ah, okay, that was good. You know, thanks, have a nice day. It's, you know, my wife's done tasting at some um, stores back home where she sold 72 bottles in the course of a two-hour tasting. You know, that's that's a pretty good good term of an event, (laughs) you know, and we see that nationwide. Now, this next one we're going to let you try is called Red Dress. This is a red currant and honey. So it's a nice semi-sweet. Not overly sweet. It's got a nice little tartness coming on from the uh, currants that really kind of blend with the honey really nicely. So do you have an existing affiliation with the ANHC in America, which drew you to be invited over here? Um, So I've been a guest speaker at the um, American National Homebrewers Conference for the last three years in a row. Um, And I got to tell you, the gentleman that put on this conference out here, fantastic job. This is probably the best run um, homebrewers conference I've seen in many, many years. Wow. You know, the food was incredible. The beers that they served at the Grand Bala, uh, Gala dinner were all homemade, and they were all better than most commercial beers I've ever tried. So, fantastic event. And uh, for any of your homebrewers that might be listening, 
the next one will be in two more years and definitely worthwhile. Take the time to go. And uh, I'd be honored if they ever invite us back again. But we had a great time. I did a show um, from the dinner. They had a pr- uh, lead-up dinner for the event probably a month ago now, I guess. Mm. And um, I chatted to a few of the local people involved. And the conference seems like um, just a great event for anyone who's interested in in good beer and good food rather than just the home brewers. So I can only imagine that if a few little steps get taken and the market gets pushed out a little bit, it could become a huge event here mm. because getting the likes of Vinny out here makes all the geeks just go crazy. And even the professional brewers, all they yeah. wanted to do was go and <laughs> chat to Vinny. So well, um, draw cards like that make it really enticing. Yeah, and, and the same, I mean, I know I'm not at the same level as Vinny. But, <laughs> You're uh, the Vinny of me, don't you, yeah, Mike? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, when, you know, I saw my photo next to Vinny's on their website when they first invited us. I, w- I was just blown away, but they also had a gentleman from Fuller's come down. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, you know, it's, it, this is a very high-end caliber uh, event at this point. And, you know, for my metery, which is now ranked in one of the two top meteries in the entire world, and we only started four years ago, mm. Yeah, you know, I've done something right. What's the ABV of this one? This one is thirteen point nine. Okay, because the tartness of this one makes it drink way under that. It, it reminds me of that one. Um, so that was the Sultana one. It had a like a port character, which I'm guessing yep. you'd, you'd get. And yep. I, I can imagine sort of having that with the you know rich fruit dessert. Mm-hmm. Um, some cream would be a real a real winner. So it's just another one being poured. Yes. Yeah, so, so next up is Fling, which is a strawberry rhubarb, orange blossom honey. So this one goes great with like um, goat cheese salad. So again, nice light, little tartness coming in from the rhubarb and um, really uh, beautiful uh, flavor coming on. Thank you. That's really good. Is that a really good one? Yeah, Yeah, wow. That's my third most popular. Right. Are we building to the... Two more. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, looking sort of online, reading about me, just here and there, the the one that I'm guessing is your most popular. Um, it's got a, a quite a big reputation. Maybe we'll talk to that when we get to it. Let's, let's sure. not. Yeah, <laughs> one of the one really of the things that I, I was really thinking about mead honey coming from bees. There's a lot of talk about the sort of global honey shortage mm-hmm. or bee shortage. Is that something you have to factor in are you concerned about that absolutely so that's why we buy true source certified honey which means the honey we buy is all sustainable it's ethically sourced and most important to us it's independently verifiable all the way back to the beehive it comes from let's think of this way you know we buy honey by the the 3200 pounds at a block at this point i have no way to test that much honey so i have to be assured that it's real quality honey it's not cut with corn syrup or sugar or something else. So I need the best possible ingredients. And that's how you get the best possible meads. Now most of our recipes are 25% by volume honey, 75% by water, volume water or juice. So that, you know, we, we've got really high-end quality meads. And that's why our price points reflect that. You know, we're not trying to make them weak and watery. We're not trying to cut the flavors down. We're not trying to save a little extra money by putting a little more water in a bottle. I'm trying to make them for me, like I said before, and that really goes the distance. And that's why these flavors always stand up time and time again. Reasonable sized bottles, they're, they're quite high ABV. How long, so if I was to pick up one of those, would I have to drink it on the night or can I sit on it? For Over two weeks of shelf life once you open a bottle. Great. Unopened, I've had my meads up to 18 years old. They get better wow. with age. Really? And they lay down like incredible. 
What are people uh, looking for when they're aging one of these? What's what, what's going to change? Um, well, the flavors become a little more subtle, a little more uh, blended together. Mm-hmm. So it's not as um, not that they're harsh now, but yeah, you know, they just continue to get more fuller. Mm-hmm. Is the best way I can put it. It's kind of like if you were to lay down a barley wine and let that sit for a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of softens the edges. Yeah, you know, it makes it a little more harmonious. Same thing. Mm. We're both horrendous collectors and sellers uh, of beer, so. It just makes us excited, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what do you guys think of that one, with the strawberry and rhubarb? I really like this that. It's probably my, my yeah, favorite so, so far. Too, yeah. It's got that tartness from the, uh, the, the rhubarb, I'm yeah. guessing, um, that I really like. It's dry. It's, yeah, I could, I could drink a, a lot of it, I think. But it, again, it drinks way under the ABV. Now, I your think. listeners could go out and have a store, bottle shop, anywhere in the country, contact Caliber Beer and get this brought in. We, um, we'll put all the links on our website as well if anyone's... You know, I was looking up because yeah, I, I would be happy to see some of these in my local bottle store. Yeah, of course, with a two-week shelf life after opening. I think it's I think a selling point because you know, beer is kind of a—it's fragile. You open it, it's, that's it. You know, you get a growler two days max, and so yeah, I really like that about something I can have in the fridge and. And then you can start making your own braggots. So you can buy some of my meads and blend them with your homebrew beers, or get some commercial beers. Like you take a really dark, um, like a Irish stout. Take some of our central with that, blend it in like three parts Guinness or you know stout, one part our mead. You get a nice braggot going on. We call that a dark and sexy. So you know it's really quite tasty and uh, really uh, delicious. Now this next one I'm going to pour for you is a um, is the one I started the company with. This is called Desire. It's a blackcurrant blueberry black cherry. Won first place, so best of show in a homebrew competition of 353 entries. So, again, mm. almost 17% alcohol on this one. And uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, dark garnet color to it. The, um, the current comes in rich in the front. Mm. Cherry's going to be right there, the blueberry. But you put this with some dark oh, chocolates. Smells amazing. Yeah, that's, um, I, can sm- I can smell that all day. Now I'm starting to sniff the, uh, the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't smell quite as good. Yeah. There's uh, something f- really familiar about it. I can't put my finger on, but it's comforting almost. I haven't, sm- I haven't drunk it yet. Dave, if you're... Uh, yeah, it's um, it's as warming and comforting as it smells, but it's like oh, at the risk, the risk of cheapening it. It's got the familiarity of Ribena, <laughs> which is but everything better about Ribena. Yeah, I go with that. Yeah. yeah, and you said this is seventeen percent. Are you familiar with Ribena? The no, I'm okay, not. it's like a black currant um, juice, sparkling it's juice, like a yeah. vitamin C yeah. rich. Yeah, black currant juice. Yeah. yeah. But you get the cherry in the yeah, in the finish. Yeah, the blueberry's um, hidden right in between. It, it makes me want to drink more mead and, and I guess get to know the flavors a lot more. Because now I got a story for you guys. Go on. We had a, a young lady called the meadery one day, and she said, "I love the single serve size bottles." And I was like, "Ma'am, that's not a single serve size <laughs> bottle." And she's like, "No, no, no. You don't understand. I go to these parties and I have such a good time." I'm like, I'm sure you do, <laughs> but please be careful and don't drive after uh, enjoying a full bottle. So your bottles, they're a, a strange... Three se- 375 milliliter bottle. They're a unique shape as well. Are they, um, I mean, I guess for, I've, I haven't seen bottles like that over here unless, you know, some spirit bottles. Is that kind of an intention, you know, a standout for you? Well, for us, you know, if we were to put them in 750 milliliter bottles, I thought it would be too much. I thought people might be overindulging. Hmm. And... Um, I wanted to be careful about that, but I didn't want it to look tiny on a shelf either. I wanted to kind of have a little vibrato, so stand up on the shelf and say, hello, I'm here. And if you look at our bottle designs and labels, 
you see Moonlight Meadery very prominently on each bottle mm. because we're trying to build the category. We're trying to establish mead as a category beverage. So we're really kind of highlighting the brand of our company above the brand of the product. So, And I did that intentionally because most people, when I tell them I make mead for a living, they usually look at me and ask me what kind of meat do I make. And I'm like, you know, you don't make meat, but try going back to biology class on that one. Now, last but not least for you guys is one called Kurt's Apple Pie. This is made with fresh-pressed apple cider. We use that to dilute the honey, so no water added. Mm. After fermentation, we add Vietnamese cinnamon and Madagascar bourbon vanilla beans. Wow. This is rated 100 on rate beer right now, and um, it is by far and away my best seller. That smells even better than the last one. That's um, it's fascinating. So... Apple pie is an accurate description yeah. of the aroma. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the... 17% on this one, too. Jeez. So, you know, it's got some sweetness here, mm. but the, the alcohol and the spices really kind of pull that back in check. And, you know, I, I log into Untapped and check the ratings every once in a while, and <laughs> it's just crazy to see how many times people say, wow, you know. It it's, it's good that you like do that. spicy filling of apple pie. That's what it tastes mm. like, yeah. It's good that you go into Untapped and enjoy yourself looking at ratings because <laughs> I know brewers that do that and tear their hair out and then you know, rant about it on social media how wrong everyone is. So, <laughs> Well, you notice I got very short hair, so <laughs> I can't tear much out. But it's certainly a, um, you know, I do this because I'm passionate about it. It's certainly a personal um, craft that you put a lot of energy into. Um, sometimes, you know, you see somebody that clearly is out to just cause harm and pain and that's a tough thing to sit back and realize but you know you can't fight with people that have no sense of being fought with so i've learned to not try and um it's still hard you know because this is something i put everything of my life into at this point it's hard for me even as a drinker to to see beers that i like getting rated down so i can only imagine what it's like for a uh, producer of it when you uh, spoke at the conference, did you notice any sort of spark or interest locally about people producing mead or trying to blend it to make braggots or anything like that here? Because it's yes, something like, that we've never seen before. Like a gravitational really. shift. Yeah. Okay. I mean, everybody and everybody came up to me telling me they couldn't believe how much passion I brought to the craft, how they've never tasted mead that tasted so good, how they want to go home and start making mead. I had a lot of people asking me about eucalyptus honey. Apparently, that's a very popular honey here in um, Australia. I don't have a lot of experience making meads with eucalyptus honey, but if I was going to try to make one with that type of honey, I'd want to keep it fairly sweet to balance off that menthol-type flavor that's going to yeah, come from sure. that honey. But, you know, I got to judge a competition this week. Um, when I was out, they asked me to be a judge. I'm a national-ranked BJCP judge. And, you know, the meads being made here by amateurs are incredible. They didn't have a lot of entries. So, you know, it's an opportunity. And, you know, my details are always available. I've um, already been networking with some of the amateurs looking to go professional here in Australia. So, you know, I, I'm here to help. I'm trying to change the whole world. So from that amateur scope, what does this industry look like? Because I've never even heard of that being a competition. Yeah, I guess to give some context... Um we started talking about mead recently, and it's quite actually for fortunate that you've uh, coming out now because we thought let's try and start, you know, getting some Australian meads and tasting them and 
There's literally nothing out there, is there? No one Hardly in Australia anything. is talking about mead at all. So, w- what are we going to see from them coming up? Like, what's the? Yeah, so some of the meads I tried over the um, I tried a brochet, which is a orange was made with orange blossom honey. And a brochet is they actually caramelize that honey, so they took it and they actually almost burnt it, and then they let that ferment through. So it had a really um, like a caramel uh, type of color to it, but it had all the uh, citrus notes of orange blossom honey that you'd expect. But it was lovely. I mean, absolutely lovely. And, um, you know, most of the guys that come to these conferences have already started finding us on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. And, you know, the comments are like, oh, I couldn't believe Michael Fairbrother came out and judged my meads. And I got real, real input on, on the quality of the meads that I make. You know, we had, a, I enjoyed a um, strawberry mead. I had a cinnamon and vanilla mead. You know, so a lot of different ones. Had one with leather, uh, blossom honey. So really kind of complex there, really beautiful flavor. But, you know, all of them were really well done. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and in the States, what's happening with uh, mead there? What's so mead is exploding in the States. I mean, we've been featured on um, in the Wall Street Journal. We've been featured on CBS Morning News. Um, uh, I've just been uh, told that... Um, the Forbes magazines listed meat as in one of the top ten trends for food and beverage wow. worldwide. Oh, wow. So, I mean, the, the tidal wave is coming. Mm. And what we've seen, like, with places like here at the local, when we come in and present our meads, they just taste them and they're blown away by that flavor. And like, yeah, we're going to bring it in. Oh. And that's, uh, you know, what we see worldwide. Uh, do you, you did kegs of it as well, was that right? Yes, we have our Kurt's apple pie available now on key kegs. Um, our distributor is li- or importer is likely going to be starting to pull some of that in. Great. So from the beginning, what's your uh, setup evolved like? Wow. Well, we started with 20-liter um, carboys in my garage, and that was uh, back in May of 2010. And by July of that year, the first batch sold out. So uh, I quit my day job on that day. By was, sec- that, was that fun that, to do? Yeah, that was, yeah, oh, that was pretty terrifying, to be honest. But... Uh, Chief operating officer to uh, unemployed or self-employed mead maker. And um, within two months, we outgrew our garage. And it took me to November of that year to, to start, you know, get the new facility open. But we grew factor of four that first two months. And within 10 days, I brought my wife on, or Bernice, to become my VP of sales and marketing. And she's so good at her job. Within 10 days, she got us named New Hampshire Magazine's Top Four Hostess Gift Ideas. By February of that year, 2011, Bernice got us featured on um, New Hampshire Chronicle. 400 customers showed up in our tasting room that weekend. I didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> we didn't do tours back then. I'm pouring meat as fast as possible. Well, within two months after that, we get a call from a distributor in California who asked us to send out bottles of mead. I was a little nervous, but I sent some bottles out. When he called me back, we became the first meadery in New Hampshire state history to be distributed to California. And I did that my first year of business. So we doubled in size again. So within our first year, we, we grew eightfold, so eight times. We've just added another 2,000 square feet to the meadery. We're now doing barrel-aged meads, um, close to 4,000 liter batches at this point. And uh, we're looking to upgrade to 12,000 liter batches uh, as our sales continue to skyrocket. What sort of barrels are you using in the program? Uh, we got all sorts. So Sam Adams makes a beer called Utopias. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So I used to run their homebrew competition for four years. I have some really, really good friends at Boston Beer Company. They, uh, they hooked us up with 20 of those Utopias barrels. And our mead that we make in those barrels is called Utopian. 
and I have sold the last three barrels out at $100 per 375 milliliter bottle at my tasting room. And our importer here is asking if he can get a hold of some. <laughs> Maybe a very small allotment, but um, I think we can help him out on that. And are other meaderies doing barrel-aged stuff? Is that something that is... Um, there's some. Uh, not, I don't think a lot of them, but we're looking to expand our barrel fa- uh, room by almost a factor of 16. So we want to wow. be able to have, you know... Bourbon barrels, different types of wine barrels, maybe some tequila barrels, rum barrels, maybe a couple of cognac barrels. Yeah, so we're we're playing, and we like. To, I like. This is all about, like I said, me. <laughs> yeah, I'm making this for me. Yeah, there's nobody else involved. Well, my wife, but she's she's amused with it all. Within mead, do any like bugs come into play with the fermentation? Uh, we're actually making some sour meads now too, so we're still playing around with those. Uh, we got some used Allagash curio barrels from uh, Allagash Brewing Company. Uh, we have them inoculated. I uh, can't say it's as sour and as funky as you might get from um, from a lambic, um, but I think if we blend the right amount of currants in there, we can get that tart, pungent uh, flavor to really kind of stand out. So is that, that's pretty uncharted territory in terms of... Um, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I go barreling down these roads that have never been gone before. And one of the things that I had to do when we first started in um, our barrel series, the United States government told me I couldn't make wine in a beer barrel. Mm. I was looking at him or talking to him on the phone. I said, but why? And she said, sir, I work for U.S. government. I can tell you what you can do, what you can't do. I can't tell you why. Now... I said, well, you can make beer in a wine barrel. She's like, yes. I was like, well, you can make beer in a bourbon barrel. And she's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, this important Madeira or wine made in spirits barrels. She's like, yes. I said, so everything I don't want to do, I can do. But what I want to do, I can't do. She's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm on the phone trying to figure out what to say to this woman. I said, well, what if I wash the barrels? She goes, oh, okay, I can approve that. You come by my meadery, look at the rust on the outside of those barrels. She didn't ask me what side of the barrel I was going to wash. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds um, red tape for the sake of red tape. Yeah, everybody wants to understand what rules are and how they're beneficial. And if I can't find where the value is, I want to go change those rules. So we're working real hard to be able to change the game. And uh, the way we want to change the game is to be able to make braggots. Uh, we're a winery by law in the United States, but we want to make a mead that's made with malt. The current federal law in the United States says, thus since wine can't be made from malt, which prevents us from doing that. Then I said, well, what if we were a brewery? Could we use the wine that we're brewing in the winery to blend with a beer to make a, a, a braggot? And they said, no. That basically means I have no option but to go change the rules. And you may see uh, some new uh, social media campaigns coming out from us very soon about changing that game. Because why? Right. Why, why? why, why are there rules yeah. that have no real meaning? Just because somebody put it on paper doesn't mean it makes sense. I like, um, I like your bravado on that. That's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the campaign. Cool. So I was just reading about another metery. I'm not even sure how to pronounce them. Scram? Shram? Shram. Ken Shram. And I think they were saying the same thing. So, um, and I read, I read it and went, that makes no sense at all. That's such a yeah. Ken's a great guy. I've known Ken for many years now, and uh, his meadery is is fairly new. But you know, both Ken and I and several other uh, professional mead makers are going to be presenting together at UC Davis uh, Robert Mondavi Institute coming up. But you know, what Ken brings to the game and what I bring to the game, and several of these other really high class meaderies, 
is that we have passion. We are now in the industry. And as industry leaders, we're changing this for everybody, not just for us, but for everybody that comes down this pipeline. Because it's really amazing when a small winery like mine tries to change a law in New Hampshire that the Anheuser-Busch lobbyists show up there, that the California Wine Growers Association lobbyists show up there. What does a little meadery four years ago now in New Hampshire have to do with Anheuser-Busch or the California Wine Growers Association? Nothing. They're just afraid of what we're going to do. They have a right to be afraid because we're going to change the world. I think that's a really good note to uh, wrap things up on. on. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we really look forward to it. It's been a pleasure tasting your meats as well. Yeah, definitely. My pleasure, guys. Thank Thank you you very much for having us. us um, I really look forward to seeing them on the shelves. Now, just remind your listeners, they can change the world too. All they got to do is go into their bottle shop or tavern and ask for Moonlight Meadery. And they can get what we're talking about right here, right now. Perfect. Very and yeah, as we said, all links to social media, Calibre will be on the um, on our website. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very okay. much. Take care.